Welcome to the Kentucky Resources Council's Kentucky Environmental Leadership Institute podcast. My name is Amy and I am the office manager with KRC. KRC is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that combines smart policy and legal advocacy to protect the Commonwealth's natural resources and ensures environmental justice for Kentucky's most vulnerable people and communities. Since 1984, we have worked to ensure that individuals impacted by environmental decisions have a voice in the policymaking process and to protect our built and natural communities from pollution and environmental damage. So why a podcast? Well, in 2019, we announced the Kentucky Environmental Leadership Institute, our third program. Kelly is designed to provide education for people who want to better advocate for the places they live and love. After a number of meetings, surveys, research, formal and informal conversations, we were ready to announce an in-person session of Kelly for law students and an in-person session for community members. Then all of our lives changed. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced us to change how we live and work. In Kentucky, our governor has ordered that Kentuckians who can to remain in their homes and stay healthy at home in an effort to flatten the curve and protect those Kentuckians who are on the front lines of this virus. KRC has always been dedicated to ensuring Kentuckians have a healthy home. And now that so many of us are spending more time than ever at our homes, it is even more important that our natural and built communities are safe so we can be as healthy as we possibly can. So with that being said, we are adapting and we're bringing some more educational content to this podcast universe. In this Kentucky Environmental Leadership Institute show, I will be interviewing environmental attorneys and environmental protection professionals. In this first season, we are providing information for students and legal professionals who want to incorporate more environmental protection into their practices. In this first episode, I am virtually sitting down with Liz Edmondson, KRC's Queen of Policy and Staff Attorney. So without further ado, the Kentucky Environmental Leadership Institute podcast. Liz, welcome so much. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and doing this first podcast of the Kentucky Environmental Leadership Institute. Yeah, no problem. So... You are a private attorney who has spent years defending Kentucky's environment. Why did you decide to become an attorney and what led you to make the choice to focus on environmental law? Hmm. Well, um, I, growing up, I'd always been interested in justice issues and environmental issues. And I took a semester off of college at one point and kind of like Barack Obama style, I was a community (laughs) organizer. And so I did that and went around the community and talked to people about the various issues we were working on. And what I realized is that all the lawyers were having all of the fun. You know, they got to do all the policy work and they got to go to court and actually fight these issues out. And I thought that was really cool. And so I thought that was what I wanted to do. And it didn't help that my um, 
whole family had decided for a long time that I was very good at arguing and that was the career path that I should pursue anyway. <laughs> so, and I now have that same problem with my son, surprisingly. Um, but oh, anyway, I know, right? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, but so what I did is I went to university at the University of Louisville and I ended up doing a liberal studies degree program which kind of let you design your own major. Uh, there weren't any pre-legal programs at that time and there wasn't an environmental program at that time. And so I took all the classes I thought would make me a really great environmental lawyer <laughs> from my 18 year old perspective. And um, so I got that I you know I finished that and I went to law school at U of L. So what were some of those classes? I mean, to not have any kind of higher ed uh, leadership on that uh, about, you know, this is the class that you need to take to make you a great attorney. You're just kind of setting your own way. What, what were some of those classes you took? Well, I tried to take a lot of science classes and we had some environmental history classes. So learning about some of those big environmental problems from the past and how those were solved. And we had some environmental policy, there's an environmental policy class that I took and I just tried to take some public policy classes generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like history, economics, writing. I took a lot of writing classes, um, classes that required papers to write because <laughs> a lot of lawyering is good writing. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and obviously I didn't know then everything I know now, but and tried to get some advice from, from the professors that I thought could kind of help with the design of the major and, and that sort of thing, yeah. You talked a little bit about doing community organizing. What Was there a moment in your teenager years or young adult years that you were like, environmental law is what I know that I have to do? Was there kind of a defining moment for you there? Well, I grew up in kind of a place where we had a lot of woods and creeks and nature to play in. And I was really lucky in that respect, but I've always been kind of an outdoorsy person, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so I think I just gravitated to wanting to work in those places and protecting those kinds of places. Well, that's great. And we're very thankful for it. At least I am. (laughs) So how, how did you get involved in the Kentucky Resources Council? Well, when I was in law school, one of the things I tried to do since we didn't have a ton of environmental law classes, I tried to take all the environmental law classes I could and do as much extracurricular activities that I could relating to environmental law. And so um, Tom Fitzgerald, who's the director of CARE-C, has been teaching at the UofL Law School for a long time. And UofL requires all students to do 30 hours of public service for a local nonprofit. So I ended up doing my public service work for CARE-C and then a little bit later, ended up being able to be a law clerk for KRC. And then after I graduated, we got some funding that funded me for a year to be um, a staff attorney with the organization. Awesome. So was that your first job after graduation or did you work someplace else too? Well, I um, I went to law school at night. So I worked oh, wow. all through law school and I worked all through undergrad also. So... I had a job at a law firm during law school where I worked for a medical malpractice defense firm. And then, uh, so I was doing that and 
working for KRC kind of at the same time at one point. And then once I graduated, the KRC staff attorney job was my only mm-hmm. job. And that was the first job I had out of school. Yeah. And so how did that initial experience influence and, and support where you are today? I think where I am today is a combination of a lot of experiences I had after that. After my after our funding ran out for my initial one-year staff attorney position, Fitz was really great and got me a job in Lexington at a mining engineering firm. And so I worked in-house at a mining engineering company that worked with coal companies to design mine plans, specifically in an environmental management and protection context. So looking at how can we design these mines to have the least amount of environmental impact possible. And we ended up working with the federal government, with the Office of Service Mining and with the Office of Environmental Protection Agency to help those agencies do rulemakings and implement policies to provide guidance to mining companies on how to design these mines in a better way instead of just dumping everything off the side of a cliff. Hey, here's how you can better manage your material. Here's how we can avoid all of these stream impacts here and we can do all of these things. And so that was such a great experience because I really learned how these things work in practice. I learned a lot about the industry and mm-hmm. what and what the industry's goals are and how the industry operates. I learned about the economics of it. And I learned a lot about the federal governmental agencies that I was working with. And so that was just such an amazing experience. And after that, I went and started my own law firm. Oh, great. I did that for several years and I represented a lot of plaintiffs that had property damage from coal mining companies, but I also did a lot of other stuff and, you know, get into whatever, Mm -hmm. but, and that gave me the experience of running my own business and all of the things that go along with that. And then after that, I went to another nonprofit and worked with state government officials from all 50 states and all the territories on environmental policy. And so I would go around the country and educate state officials from public service commissioners to state legislators to governors to whoever on what are the you know really important areas going on in environmental policy and what do you need to know to understand those issues so you can make effective policy in your state and then I came back to KRC. (laughs) Yay! So it's been a yes it's been a very um, full circle thing but all of those experiences kind of combined to to create a lot of knowledge and insight that that I think is for me has been really beneficial to making me the type of lawyer I am today. So, so what would you say about how your ideas about environmental protection has changed over time and throughout all of those experiences? Yeah, I think the biggest one is that before, I think when I was younger, you think you don't think of anything other than the thing that you know and the thing Mm -hmm. you're trying to do. And so when we say we want to fight climate change and we need to shut down the coal plants, we need renewable energy, you know, for an example, something like that. I think where my ideas are where I've evolved and where all of these different um, places along my career path have taken me is that I've worked with businesses, I've worked with government, I've worked with industry, and I've worked with nonprofits, and I've worked with all kinds of different people and in all kinds of different areas, not just from a policy standpoint, but from a permitting standpoint, from an economic standpoint, from a business standpoint, 
And I think that when you can understand where the other side is coming from, and when you have been on the ground and understand what this business actually looks like in real life and what all the components are that go into the business and what the science is behind those things. And you have all of these, and you've been a business owner (laughs) and you have all of these different experiences from a range of ideals and a range of educational subject matter, then you're not just looking at it in this niche place, but Mm -hmm. you're looking at it from a broad-based standpoint and you can be a lot more creative in how you solve problems and you have a lot better ability to communicate with people and to see all the different sides of an issue. And I think that's something that I try to keep evolving as I grow and keep evolving as I practice and not even in law, but just in all areas of my life. Because I think that's, to me, kind of the most important thing is that we have a broad lens to look at some of this stuff through. Absolutely. I think trying to look from all sides where people are coming from, that definitely helps us find solutions that are going to work. Yeah. So since you have been with KRC, what has been one of the biggest challenges to environmental justice that you've seen? Well, one thing I've been working on as we started the Kentucky Environmental Leadership Institute last year is that throughout my career and through KRC, especially, and through Fitz's role as a professor at UofL, we have a lot of students that and a lot of practitioners that are really interested in environmental and energy law and policy. And for good reason, it's a huge problem. It's multifaceted. It's incredibly complex and mentally challenging for a lot of people. And and it's a a really exciting career. Mm -hmm. And we have so many people that come to us and they say, how do I get involved in this career? How do I get a job in environmental law? Are you guys hiring? You know, what can I do? And unfortunately, in the nonprofit space, there's just not a lot of capacity. I don't work full-time here. We have a very you know, small network of environmental attorneys working on justice issues in the Commonwealth. And I was incredibly lucky that I just happened to be around when KRC had funding to hire a law clerk mm-hmm. and had funding to hire a staff attorney. I mean, the timing could not have been more right. It was just a very, very lucky place that I was in. But what what happens when we don't have the capacity to hire more lawyers is we have an entire group of people that are really excited about something that have spent their education, like I spent my education, really diving deep into some of these issues and they have a lot to give. And then you've got these same people two years from now that can't find a job and they're doing insurance defense work or or whatever it is they're doing because they need a job and they went to law school. And so what we've been trying to do is work on educational programs where we can show students different ways that they can be involved and work in, in the space, show current practitioners how they can work in environmental and energy law and show community members how they can get involved in their own communities and do some of this work as well. Not maybe from a legal standpoint, obviously, but Mm -hmm. from a um, community organizing standpoint and from a community advocacy standpoint as well. 
Yeah. And I have to say, so I've been with KRC for about a year now and I have been so impressed just every time I pick up the phone with community members and how dedicated they are to protecting their neighborhoods. And these are people all across Kentucky who want to know the right thing to do, who want the education to figure out how to protect the places that they live. So you mentioned trying to expand the resources available for those who are practicing law, who maybe went to law school, wanted to do environmental law, and just couldn't find a job in that market. So what are some of the options or opportunities here in Kentucky for that population? I think I would say, um, you know, if you're in private practice right now and you're already a lawyer, I think there's a lot of things we don't think of as environmental law that actually are or that actually are connected. And there's a lot of, you know, if you're used to billing hourly, you don't think of environmental law as something that you can necessarily, that that people that need work on a justice issue could afford. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of ways to represent people on contingency fee cases or on cases where a federal statute might offer some sort of attorney fee award. And yes, as a firm, you're taking a risk. You obviously want some other practice areas to balance that out um, unless you're really comfortable with that. But like I said, when I was in private practice, I represented a lot of people in Eastern Kentucky that lived near coal mines that had a lot of property damage or property damage from oil and gas wells. And you've got these companies that go in and they, uh, you know, do some work and it's very hilly um, in Eastern Kentucky and inevitably people are doing work above somebody's house and they cause landslides, they cause right. water pollution and kinds of stuff. And there's a, there's not a lot of attorneys that are really familiar enough with environmental law and the environmental statutes that know that that's not just, you know, a, a tort, that's a property damage issue, but it's also in a lot of cases a violation of a state law that can get you an attorney's fee award on top of that. And that makes the other side much more likely to work with you on some sort of settlement or something like that. So land use and zoning is another one. Got all kinds of land development issues where people want to protect their communities, their homes, that sort of thing. And people need permits to develop land in those areas. And so that's another area where, from a private attorney standpoint, that, that some of us have worked in over the years, we have a, we actually were going to do a seminar at the University of Louisville Law School on this for students. And we had um, a whole bunch of practitioners that are in private practice that do a lot of this work. And uh, we'll see if we can feature some more on the podcast or or in some articles or something like that. But I think, I think there are um, in private practice, there's, there's definitely some ways to do this. I think it's maybe difficult to do that as your hundred percent practice area, maybe, Mm -hmm. but yeah, but I think I think there's a quite a few people in the state that that are doing environmental and energy issues in their own private practices as um, for-profit law firms. And then you know there's obviously corporate law firms that that do a lot of this stuff as well, and in-house counsel and things like that. So, what about if any opportunities are there for this kind of work outside of Kentucky or outside of private practice? Part of what I think is important about this program is that when we're talking about inside or outside of Kentucky, there are big nonprofits out there. You know, there's 
NRDC and the Earth Justice, which is the legal arm of the Sierra Club and things like that. Um, I think those jobs are probably kind of a little difficult to get, although, I mean, I'm sure it just depends on, on who you are and everything else about getting a job. But what I think is really important about the program that we're doing is that we want people to stay in Kentucky. Right. Um, we have a Congress that has been pretty gridlocked on a lot of things and most uh we got environmental regulations being rolled back by the federal government, but you know, depending on what happens next, who knows what will happen with those. But you know, Congress is not passing any new laws on environmental protection given the current political climate. And so what we're seeing is that more and more where environmental protection is happening is on the state and local level. You've got you know, numerous states that have said, you know, we're, we don't care if the federal government is committed to this, but we're committing to 100% renewable energy by X date, or the local governments are saying, uh, we don't want fracking within our county, you know, things like that. And whether, you know, the states come back and say they can do that or not is a different story. But what's important is that if these decisions are getting more localized, then who better to be the ones working on those issues than the people that have trained here in Kentucky, Mm -hmm. the people that know the politics in Kentucky, the people that know the other people in Kentucky, the people that have a relationship with this guy that goes back to high school and they trust each other. You know, I think it's, for me, I think it's important that for the people that want to stay in Kentucky to help give them that option. And then your other question (laughs) was... (laughs) was, um, you know, what are what are some of the other options for uh, these kinds of careers? And I think if you just go back and look at the beginning of the show, I've been in-house counsel, I've been, had my own law firm, I've worked for two different, very different nonprofits. I think there's a lot of different options outside of nonprofit, and that would include, you can represent private corporations. Um, there's a lot of private corporations that really want to do the right thing. There's private corporations that need help complying with environmental laws. I think that's a really interesting avenue and and something I have done in my career as well. I think there's a lot of work to be done in state and local government. I live here in Louisville and we have several offices in Louisville that are working on environmental issues and also things you wouldn't really think of that our environmental issues really are. If you look at the Center for Health Equity Mobile, for example, they do a lot of work on lead paint, which is an environmental justice issue. And it's really interesting how much environmental issues interact with health issues. So just because the sign at the top of the agency might not have the word environment in it, there are a lot of agencies, state and local government, that do work at that intersection of environment and health or environment and economics or something along those lines. Energy and economics is a big one. So there are a lot of things like that and working within these institutions that are making policies like or advising policymakers like being on staff of a legislature, legislator or working um, in the Legislative Research Commission, Public Service Commission, Energy and Environment Cabinet and things like that. So earlier you had talked about when you knew this is what you wanted to do and getting into the education of it, you really had to design your own major. 
if you were talking to college students and law students now, what classes or experiences would you suggest for them to best equip them to work in environmental law and environmental policy? I think you definitely want to take, um, if there's an environmental policy or environmental law class, obviously take that um, if for nothing else, because you're going to meet the environmental sure. law professor, maybe get some networking and with, with some practitioners. But I also think that everything else you do is going to benefit you. If you're interested in a particular area of environmental law, say you're really interested in renewable energy or you're really interested in water protection. If you're interested in water protection, take biology, ecology, chemistry, learn about how the science works behind that. If you're interested in renewable energy, see if you can take some sort of engineering class. If you can take anything that is going to help you understand the difference between how renewable energy systems work, how power gets on the grid, how um, the economics of that works. Because if you only understand the policy behind it and not the science, I think that you're going to have, or let me say it backwards, if you understand the science behind it, you're going to have a much easier time understanding what the issues are, and you're going to be in a much better position to advocate for whatever it is you're position you want to advocate for. And I would also say that you don't just have to take these classes in college if they're not available. Even in the last, I don't know, 10 or 12 years since I was in school and law school, the stuff available on the internet is amazing. You can find out about anything you want to know about. And so I wouldn't say just leave it at what your college or university offers. I think there's so much learning we have on the internet. And I would also say, take some economic classes. This is you, every debate you hear about environment is we're not doing that for monetary reason, essentially. Mm -hmm. The bigger base you have in economics is going to be really helpful and take some history classes, you know? Yeah. And I think I just actually, I'm reading a book right now and it's called Range. And it's by a guy that did a book on athletic performance first and um, <laughs> in looking at athletic performance what he realized is that most of the top athletes other than Tiger Woods started by playing like all the sports they didn't just focus on one thing they played everything and by playing everything that gave them the skills they needed to be really good at the one thing they ultimately became good at and he then goes on to extrapolate that into real life and so I think, you know, the more, the more you know about a lot of different topics, it gives you the, the opportunity to kind of be able to, to integrate all of these things together. Because when we're looking at the solutions we're looking at today, they're not in a silo. They're, they're combining a lot from technology, from economics, from other types of theories. And I'll add to that, take some technology classes because we didn't exactly have that. 100 Yeah, we didn't exactly have those. And, uh, yeah, I think I think that's extremely important is to understand how technology is moving and growing and how that's affecting everything we're doing. And what advice would you in general suggest to these students now who are, who are getting ready to graduate from law school looking for an environmental career? Are there any kind of like final words you want to tell them? Yeah, I think that while you're in school, I would try to 
get involved in as many things as possible. And maybe it doesn't have to be environment. You know, you could be on the board of, you know, the local Red Cross or your local church and end up meeting another board member that gets you your first job. Obviously don't just get on a board to get on a board, make sure it's something you're interested mm-hmm. in. But I think that I think that's a great way to meet a variety of different people and learn a lot and to also be doing something that's helping your community. Better yet, get involved with your own community. Right. And I think also I I can't even think of a job that I've ever had that I didn't know somebody before, maybe one or two, but the vast majority of the jobs I've had came because I had some connection with that person. My first law job ever came when I was working in a coffee shop and one of my regular customers offered me a job, you know? So you never know how, <laughs> how you're going to get these jobs, but the more people you connect with and the more people you know, just Getting yourself out there and different things that you're interested in is important. And in school, do stuff that's going to help you, like be on the law review if you can, if there's a clinic at the law school that you're interested in, or moot court, something like that, that's going to give you some real world experience. Because a lot of this, you know, when you get out of law school, you don't know what it's like to practice law. And there's people that love doing trials. There's people that love writing briefs and it's if you can find out what type of that type of lawyer you are, I think that's beneficial because you can know, you know, what kinds of areas and what types of jobs that you'd want to focus on. Because if it turns out you hate being a trial lawyer, then that's going to completely change where you're going to be wanting to look for jobs versus if you like trial work, then you're going to want to go for a job that lets you do that. Well, so speaking of of that, what would you say it's really important for students to know about maintaining a good work-life balance so they, that they can get the rest that they need to attack all of these really important issues in their workday? Well, I have a, <laughs> I guess my answer to that is, is interesting. Um, so I decided to have a baby after my, my first year of law school. I had a baby, so I was pregnant my whole first year of law school. I did the next two and a half years of law school with a little infant baby toddler <laughs> and while working that, that <laughs> full time. Really yeah. So, um, <laughs> so work-life balance has been a part of my life forever. I <laughs> think that I've been really lucky, but I've also been naive in that respect. The, the reason I quit the, one of my jobs when I was at the mining engineering firm is I really wanted to be able to work from home. I, I was having, I was living in Lexington. I had no family and no friends there to help me with my son and a single mom. And I was just having kind of, you know, kind of having a hard time with it. And I really wanted to be able to work from home. And, and I said, no. And I, I just said, well, fine, then I'm going to start my own practice. So I'll have way more time and I can have my own schedule and everything like that. And I realized looking back on that, that that was so naive. You know, I had no basis for asking for that. I'd been at the firm. I was young. I hadn't proven myself. There are these guys that had been working there for 20 years that would have loved to work from home too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read a book recently that explained this really well. And it said, you've got to be, the title of the book is so good, they can't ignore you. And it says, you have to be so good, they can't ignore you in order to ask Mm -hmm. for things like that. And what I realized is I asked for that and I didn't deserve it. And I wasn't so good that I couldn't be ignored. (laughs) And that's what they said, no. (laughs) And so after, you know, I did all that and I, I went through the rest of my career, I realized that was what I wanted in my career. I wanted 
a work-life balance because I I had to have it. I mean, I, I needed to be in a environment where I could have the flexibility to be a mom and, and to work. And over time, you know, that was my goal. All of my work that I did was kind of trying to ensure that one day I would have that. And it was, it's, you have to sacrifice. So all these things, you know, you have to balance, you have to balance your pay, you have to balance your benefits, you have to balance your flexibility and you're not going to get all three of those. And you have to balance all these things and everybody does. And there, we can argue about policies and what jobs should be offering all day. But, but the key to having a job with a work-life balance is that you're probably going to take a pay cut or maybe not, but you have to prioritize that, I think, um, in my experience. In terms of the other side of that, which is how do you maintain a balance between, you know, all the activities you like to do and your job and things like that? You have to make those priorities too. You know, if your favorite, my favorite thing is riding my bike. So I make sure that regardless of what happens, that I'm going to do that today. And if that means getting up at mm-hmm. 6 a.m., then that's what you kind of have to do. Or if that means like your only time to go to the gym is just between the time you drop your kid off at 7.30 and get to work at nine and then, and that's your happy place, then that's your happy place. You know, or if you like reading or your book club or whatever it is you do, I think you just have to, there's always time, you know, we can get off Facebook and or Instagram or whatever that you're doing. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did that answer that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think it's one of those things work life balance will always be a question. It's hard. It's hard. But like like you said, we do have opportunities. I know I've had to sacrifice different things for for what I want and it is hard and but it's making those choices about what is your number one? You know, what what do you want? Mm-hmm. Uh, and trying to go after that. Whatever's right for you. Yeah. And I will, I guess I'll say one more thing, kind of round that out, is that for the past several years, I've kind of pieced together various contract gigs, and I know a lot of other attorneys have kind of done the same thing. So we want to work in environmental law, and we recognize it's not something that we're able to do full-time at this point. So, right. and we don't want to, you know, I was in a situation having my own practice as a single mother was really hard. And it just, I think if I'd continued it and over, you know, the last five years or so, I would probably be in a much better place, but it was just, it was hard. Um, I didn't have a partner. I had a great support system where I was, but I, it was hard. And so um, for me, I've been able to kind of piece together various contract jobs and that is still have my own practice. I'm still independent, but instead of having like 20 or 30 clients, I have two and or three or whatever you know whatever it's been over the years or you take on a case or two on the side if it's something you're really interested in and and I think that's a great way if you're wanting to do environmental law and you apply to a bunch of things and you can't really figure it out if you can just say hey you know find several different places like can I do legal research for you can I write motions for you can I go to court for you for routine motion hour stuff like that and you know, we're in a gig economy, I think after the coronavirus, where we've all been working from home for for however long we have to do that, there's going to be a much better understanding in a lot of industries that people can do a lot of this work from home. And so I think these are options for, for having a work-life balance, especially if for what I do right now, I mean, I could work 
16 hours a day, two days a week and whatever, I don't, but um, you could foreseeably have a job where you could do something like that or, and it also, you know, it depends on your family. It depends on all these different things you have going on in your life. But I think that there, there are options for making sure that you're making the money you need to make, but you also have the schedule that works for you. Yeah. Well, so Liz, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, kind of going over some advice for younger students who are eager to join this really important industry. But before you go, what is your go-to resource for learning about environmental issues? Uh, If it's a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, where's your number one? Oh man, that was a great question. I, I don't have one actually. I read a lot of books and if I'm focused on a specific environmental issue for work um, or I'm interested in an issue, then I will find the books and the best resources on that issue. And then I will take the bibliography or the resources from the thing I just read and go read those. Um, so I don't necessarily have anything where I just get a a general overview. I'm typically more looking at, at a specific issue, but I think it's important to, to get the right resources. There's so many resources out there. And so what I always try to do is just find the definitive person on, or the definitive people on this issue I'm looking at, and then look at all the sources that, that they used for that and let that take me down the rabbit hole of information. (laughs) (laughs) Is, is there a book that you are reading now or have just finished that you would recommend? Yeah. Um, that the book I said earlier range, mm-hmm. um, we'll put it in the show notes. I'm not, I can't remember the author, but, um, okay. I like that one. And then for the students, the, the other book I mentioned was so good. They can't ignore you. And that's by Cal Newport. And he also wrote a book that's gotten a lot of press lately called digital minimalism that I think is good for everybody. Awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, I will definitely link those. Those sound great. Yeah. And then we can, um, maybe link to some other resources for students in the show notes as well. And if people have questions, feel free to email us and we will add some additional resources or we can do a separate blog post on the blog about this. Absolutely. And so Liz, where can people find out more about you? I try to stay off the internet so I have no social (laughs) media profiles. (laughs) But you can email me at liz at kyrc.org. All right. Well, thank you so much, Liz. Thanks, Amy. All right. Bye. Bye. And that was our show. Thank you so much for listening. Please send us any questions you have about working in environmental protection, Kentucky's environmental regulations, how to incorporate environmental law into your practice, or just whatever's on your mind. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at KY Resources, at our website at kyrc.org, or by email at info at kyrc.org. Thanks. Bye.